Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But I do know this, though we're far from what we will be, we know what we'll be like when we stand before him, when we're perfected in his presence. Why? Because we will be like him. And I love that thought because, you know, Jesus never had to ask forgiveness. He always did those things that please the Father. We'll be like that in that day. In a study that covers the majority of the eighth chapter of Mark, Pastor Sam brings us part one of a two-part message entitled, A Revelation from Heaven. We begin in verse 11 as we consider the request of the Pharisees for Jesus to prove himself with a sign. Let's listen in. Signs are sensational. Wonders, wonderful. Miracles, marvelous. But all of those point to something or someone greater. And in this case, they would be pointing back to him. He's there in their midst, working the miracles that were prophesied Messiah would work in the dispensation where he'd walk upon the earth and lay down his life for our sins. And so they're seeing daily the things that confirm who he is, yet they're still asking for more. I believe had they been sincere, he would have willingly and joyfully granted them a sign. But he knows signs and wonders won't convert the unbeliever. They have Jesus. They have the gospel. They have, as we do, all they needed. Now, a revelation from heaven, and that's what I've titled this message. It comes in the form of God's perfect, life-changing, everlasting word. It's greater because the Father is speaking it. He is sending it. They had Jesus, the Father's perfect revelation of his nature, his character, his will, and his plan for Jesus, if you're unaware, is the prototype. I don't know what you were like before you came to Christ, but you're all pretty nice now that you're walking with him. But I do know this, though we're far from what we will be, we know what we'll be like when we stand before him, when we're perfected in his presence. Why? Because we will be like him. And I love that thought because, you know, Jesus never had to ask forgiveness. He always did those things that please the father. We'll be like that in that day. Jesus never had to, to say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. He only did those things that were right. And we'll be like that in that day. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. That will be us too. Well, there's more, but we'll press on because the story develops beautifully for us. He left them getting into the boat again. Verse 13, he departed to the other side. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Matthew fills in a blank, adding Sadducee. So I'm not doing a harmony of the Gospels, though I intend on doing that at some point with you. That's where you would take all four Gospels and deal chronologically with them and put everything in its place. 
But at this point, I'm drawing from Matthew and a couple times from John just to fill in blanks so that we get a more complete picture. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, the leaven of Herod. Now, they reasoned among themselves, we read in verse 16, saying, it is because we have no bread. Hey, you got to put yourself in their shoes. They're regular guys. In fact, they're they're a little irregular, but they're normal. And uh, and what I've noticed is that that they often do the very same things that we do. So it's easy for me to picture them saying, I told you to bring the bread. I thought you were going to get the bread. You just left it sitting there. And so they're that kind of guys. Now, I'm not saying thus says the Lord. That's the argument they're having. But I'd be surprised if it wasn't. So they are saying among themselves, some thinking, perhaps some talking, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus, aware of it, says to them, verse 16, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, well, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Now, what's taking place here is Jesus is trying to bring them to the place where they can take each individual piece of the puzzle and put it together. And really, the Gospels are like that. As you get what he does here and what he says here and the miracle he works here and the kindness he shows there, as you put all that together, you end up with the perfect portrait of him. And he wants them to see things as they really are, not how they appear to be. And he's saying, you have some real issues. You've got ears, but you're not listening. You've got eyes, but you're not seeing. Those are the same accusations he made of those enemies of his recently in one of our studies. Well, Matthew 16, 11, again, gives us an important piece of this puzzle. He says, I didn't speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood he didn't tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, which is just yeast and actually helpful if you're making bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Doctrine is either truth or it's not. Bible doctrine, good doctrine, is the truth. That which would challenge, contradict, distort, that's bad doctrine. Everybody has their system of beliefs. Everyone believes something and acts upon it because what we believe ultimately determines how we behave. So they didn't really understand. And, and so he mentions Pharisees and Sadducees in our passage in Mark. It's the Pharisees and Herod. I'll deal with all three. But he, they're very different from one another. Yet here's what they have in common. They find a common enemy or threat in Jesus. Now, they're enemies to him. He's not an enemy to them. He came to save them from their sins, just as he came to save us from 
our sins. He loved them and wanted them to come to him just as he loves us and has drawn us to him. And, and so these guys, well, Pharisees and Sadducees, they got along about as good as Republicans and Democrats today. They pretty much were opposed to one another in every way, not politically, but spiritually. And there were political ramifications because while the Pharisees were very conservative and religious and, and, and heavily involved in outward observances of God's law, while neglecting, as we read some weeks ago, uh, the, the weightier matters, and they, their hearts weren't right toward him, and they could really see that by, by the way they treated people. So the Pharisees, formalistic, ritualistic, hypocritical, they were that group that were saying one thing, but doing another. The Sadducees, materialistic, rationalistic, more political than they were spiritual. They believed some of God's word, but unlike the Pharisees, they rejected a lot of it. They sort of took a smorgy approach, if you will. If you're a fan, uh, you know, you go and there's everything you could possibly want. The Bible's kind of like that. Everything you need for sure. And uh, but some people are like, well, you know, I don't really like that part or I don't I don't believe they have they have scholars gathered together every 10 years or so to try to determine what Jesus actually taught that's in the scripture and what they probably determined he must not have taught because they don't agree with it. And I want to say people keep changing, but the word is always the same. And we're always moving one direction or the other. We're moving toward the word, into the truth, and then closer to the Lord. Or we're moving away from the word, further from the truth, and further from our Lord. So we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees who ordinarily can't get along at all. But they see a common threat in Jesus. They're both concerned. That if the people continue to follow him, they'll lose their base. They'll lose their power. They'll lose their authority. They'll lose their wealth. Because both groups prospered greatly from the service they were supposed to be rendering unto the Lord. And the mercy they were supposed to be showing people. Herod, a political puppet, a creature who like his namesake was a monster. Apologies to real monsters. But nevertheless, he was a murderer and he was corrupt to the core. So you have this, this strange picture of, uh, of the conservative religious and then the, well, far from conservative, somewhat religious, but more political. And then this absolutely corrupt political puppet, Herod. And he's saying, beware of the, of the Pharisees, beware of the Sadducees, beware of Herod, but not just them, the leaven of them, what they teach, how they live, how they act, because we're influenced by the people around us. In fact, it's a, a fact. We become like the people we admire, that we aspire to be like. And if uh, you're wanting to be more like Jesus, that's going to bode well for you 
for your family, for this fellowship, for our community. But if you want to be like, and you can pick anyone you want, if it isn't him, you're going to be heading the wrong direction eventually. Well, verse 22 says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand. He led him out of the town. And when he'd spit on his eyes, he put his hands on him and he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now, this is a true story with parabolic implications, application for us, because we were once spiritually blind. We were once like those disciples. We had ears, but we didn't hear his word. And when we heard it, we didn't understand it or process or put it into practice. We saw, but we didn't see clearly. Some of us all the way blind when it came to things spiritual. Others of us could see somewhat, but not clearly. And as he touches him again, I'm reminded that as he gathers us, and sometimes we're studying a passage you know as well as I do, that you're familiar with. But the idea is he's touching us again through it with this express desire that we would see more clearly. That, that some of us are in a place where, where it's still a little foggy. It's still a little obscured. We hear it. We think we almost get it. But we know in our heart of hearts we're still not fully and truly processing it. So for that reason, I would say that we should pray today. When we get to the end and I share the good news that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, that there's forgiveness and everlasting life in him and in him alone, there'll be opportunity for you who know the Lord to say, Lord, touch me again. Touch my ears so I can hear. Touch my heart so it'll be soft for you. Touch my eyes so I can see clearly. So we're gathered so he can speak to us. And uh, we used to sing a song. Perhaps we'll sing it again sometimes. It's a simple song. It says, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. There's more to it, but I was thinking one day, it's odd, we always sing that song, open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus with our eyes closed. And then I realized, no, that's actually perfectly appropriate. Because the idea is when I open my eyes, I don't want to just see around, I want to see him in our midst, high and lifted up, exalted in our presence, glorified here today. And so open our eyes. We can sing and we can pray. And you have to know that's a prayer we should and could and must pray today. Well, verse 27, he continues. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. This is one of my favorite areas in Israel. 
It's just glorious, not far from where this scene goes down and, and these words are shared. There's this beautiful walk where you go down this long path and big waterfalls open up and just glorious. And, and so Jesus goes there with his disciples and, and he asked them saying, who do men say that I am? Now the answers that day are the same today. If you look at how these people he gets the response from see him or, or those who they're quoting see him, you're going to see it's like that today. Some answered saying John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. Now, John, we're well familiar with. He preached repentance and he didn't care who you were, even if you were King Herod, who had taken his brother Philip's wife. John was fearless and faithful to preach the word that God gave him. And that word was repent. And he told Herod, you need to repent. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Ultimately, John's imprisoned. John's beheaded, and uh, at this point, Herod had started a rumor. What's the rumor? When he heard about Jesus, he said, this is John who I, 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 I killed, and he's risen from the dead. He's back. Now, he took his head, and it's clear Jesus isn't John. We've walked this road, many of us, together. They're cousins. They're contemporaries. They were born in a very short span of time, both moms pregnant at the same time. And so, so the idea that he is John is completely ridiculous. But you know, when the king or someone in authority or power or notoriety, a scholar or a professor or a religious leader says, well, you know, people start to listen and they start to think, well, maybe so. Well, listen, Jesus is not his cousin, John. John pointed to Jesus after calling people to repentance and to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. The Lord opens John's eyes and shows him who Jesus is at Jesus' baptism. He realizes he's not just my cousin. He's the Lord. He's the one. He's the Savior. How do we know? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So some say John. And of course, Jesus was a great reformer, as was John. He called people to repentance. In fact, that's the first thing he called people to do after he's baptized and tempted and goes through all that. He comes and he begins to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some said he was Elijah. And Elijah, like John, was faithful and fearless in his day. He went up against King Ahab, the most wicked king ever in Israel, married Jezebel, a woman who might have been his equal, if not worse than him. And then the two of them... Well, they did all they could to corrupt and disrupt the worship of the true and living God. Well, Elijah had no fear of Ahab. And Elijah was a mighty miracle worker. He prayed at one point that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he has a little encounter with Ahab 
who says, look what you've done. And he says, no, this is all on you. Elijah telling Ahab. But God says, well, go ahead and pray and I'm going to send the rain. And, and God brings the rain again. But so many mighty miracles. And of course, Jesus, like Elijah, a, a mighty miracle working man. I mean, he, he did things no one else had done, was doing or would do. Well, anyway, Jesus was not Elijah, although it's at least reasonable that some might have thought he could be. If they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, Malachi, the very last chapter, and we're going to either get to it this Wednesday or the following Wednesday. We're in chapter three. They're short chapters, but we've been kind of going slow through our Wednesday night study. And uh, anyway, Malachi chapter four says that Elijah will be returning before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, this wasn't the great and terrible day of the Lord. This was the beginning of the dispensation of grace, where the law and the prophets were unto John, and now Jesus is on the scene. He is ushering in and making possible an age of grace, the one we're still living in. And, and so Jesus, well, some thought, well, if he's not the Messiah, he might be Elijah. And again, that would be a reasonable thought because they didn't really see two comings. They just thought Jesus was going to come. This is true of his disciples. We'll see this clearly later in the gospel. They thought he was going to, to, to crush the Roman rule, usher in the kingdom of God. The millennium would begin glorious uh, time on earth where peace would rule and reign and for a thousand years where where everything was as it should be. But anyway, this wasn't that day, and Jesus wasn't Elijah. Elijah will still come. I believe he's one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, along with Moses. And we'll see both of them together in our next study, and we'll talk a little bit more about them and about that. Well, some said he's one of the prophets, that's because he came and he spoke for, well, he spoke for the Lord, but in a way the prophets never did. You see, they came saying, both the, the, the faithful and the unfaithful, the, the, those who were representing the Lord and those who never even stood in the presence of the Lord, those who were faithful prophets, true prophets, and those who were unfaithful because they weren't actually his prophets. They were false prophets. They had this in common. They all said, thus says the Lord. They all claimed authority from the Lord and claimed to be speaking for the Lord. But the difference, of course, God's actual prophets stood in his presence. They heard his words. They declared them and turned his people from their sin. That was the mission, you see. They comforted when there was comfort needed. They rebuked when rebuke was needed as well. And in every case, when they said, thus says the Lord, it's because the Lord gave them something to say. Now, you'll never read of Jesus saying, thus says the Lord, because Jesus is the Lord. And most of you've put that together. He came not, not saying, thus says the Lord, but he said, you've heard it has been said. I know what they're saying. You know what they've said, but I say unto you. 
And we're told the common people heard him gladly and the people marveled at his teaching and preaching because he spoke as one with authority. Of course, he didn't need a word from the Lord. He was the Lord speaking forth his own word. When you think about Jesus's warning to take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, it's good to understand that in scripture, leaven represents sin. So when the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.9 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, he's warning us that a little bit of untruth, a little bit of false teaching, a little bit of impure thoughts is leaven that can affect and transform the entire person. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.